Well, I want to welcome you again to Door Creek Online. Thanks for joining us. I want to just give some shout outs. We've got some Canadians that have been watching. So, A, Canadians, we shout out to you. Glad that you're joining us. We know there's some Brits that's been joining us from across the pond. We love you guys. The Philippines has been another country with a bunch of people watching. Hello to the Philippines. And then a special shout out to the women at Tashita Correctional. Chaplain McKenzie says, you guys are still logging on, watching our services, so God bless you women as you worship with us this week as well. So the uh, kind of word for the day is, let's seize the day. Because, you know, I, hey, by the way, if you guys don't know this, this is like the very first week that we have people in this room beyond the tech crew and a few volunteers last two weeks. So, man, this is exciting. I just want you to know everybody is masked, appropriately socially distanced, so we're being safe here. But it, it is really, really exciting to be together. So seizing the day as we just finished our study of Ecclesiastes is about not allowing fear and uncertainty to paralyze us to immobilize us, but we want to seize the day and be after all the things that God would have us chase down. So can I just say, get into a group, group up. If you're kicking the tires on Christianity, get into Christianity explored, all right? If you're not in a life group, just as Stephen Laurel said, get in a group, and man, we've got great resources. So you should know as you're watching right now, you can go to the to our digital bulletin, doorcreek.info, and you can get message notes right now prepared to go along with your study as you're listening, participating right now. And then we have the group discussions. We're now actually calling it homework, guys. I know that's a hated word, but homework kind of communicates that, hey, there's an assignment. There's a next step as we come from hearing the message, taking some notes, to actually digging in ourselves 20 to 30 minutes so that we can have an even better conversation around God's Word. So we're hearing it, we're studying it, we're talking about it all to the end that we would not just be in God's word, but God's word would be in us and making us more like Jesus. So thanks. All right, let's get into John chapter one, the surpassing greatness of Jesus. A little boy was working on a piece of art in his class and the teacher said, looks like you're drawing someone. Who are you, who are you drawing? He said, I'm drawing God. She goes, Wow. You know, God's a spirit. Nobody's really seen him. Nobody really knows what he looks like. To which he looked up and said, well, they will when I get done. <laughs> so what's your concept of God? How's it changed over the years? What's shaped your concept of God? When you ask little kids to draw a picture of God, oftentimes it might look actually a little bit like the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo. You know, this creation of Adam, this classic painting, and, and here it is. God is old, he's got a long gray hair, and of course he's got a beard. But what's your concept of God? Maybe you no longer are sure if there actually is a God. Maybe you're convinced that he doesn't exist. Well, as we jump into our study, John is asking us this question. Would you like me to introduce you to God? Because I'm going to do that as I tell the story of Jesus in my gospel. Listen to what he says in verse 18 of chapter 1. No one has ever seen God, 
but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known, made God known. And so we are invited by John to come and see, to take a look at Jesus, so that we would see and believe, and in believing that we would find life, as God always intended from the very good beginning. Well, before we get into our study in the first chapter, let me just give us a little bit of background to the setting of John's gospel. So first of all, it's a gospel. So there's four of them in the New Testament. So Old Testament, 39 books, New Testament, 27 books. And the first books of the New Testament are the Gospels. Gospel means good news. It's the good news of God's love for us. It's the good news about Jesus coming to live and to die on our behalf. And the good news of his resurrection, that he's still alive. So it's a gospel. A gospel is not a biography. It's not chronologically arranged. It is more like a portrait, like a painting. And he is emphasizing John as different things from Matthew and Mark and Luke. One of the things he's going to emphasize is the humanity coupled with the deity of Jesus. That he's fully God and that he is fully man. Now this writer of the uh, Gospel John has also written other books of the Bible. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and the book of Revelation. Here's what we know about John. His dad was Zebedee. They were a fishing family, like commercial fishing family, all right? And when he and his brother James met Jesus, and Jesus said, hey guys, I'd like you to follow me, be my disciple. They dropped their nets immediately, Mark's gospel says, and they left the business to Zebedee, their dad, and his hired hands, and off they went to follow Jesus. So he was one of the 12, John was, spent three and a half years with Jesus. He was not only one of the 12, but he was part of the inner circle. Peter, James, and John, the inner circle. And it's easy to argue that he was Jesus' closest, most beloved disciple. In fact, that's what he's called, the beloved disciple. No other disciples call that. In fact, at the very end of Jesus' earthly life, before he's dead on the cross, he says to John, looking at his mother, Behold your mother, John. And to Mary, his mother, he says, Mary, behold your son. So close was his relationship with John. Scholars believe that he wrote this letter somewhere at the end of the first century, maybe the beginning of the second. So anywhere from 50 to maybe 80, 90 years after Jesus' earthly ministry here. He's writing it very likely from Ephesus, scholars believe, because John was the pastor and theologian right here of Ephesus. Now, that may be a familiar word, maybe not. This is modern-day Turkey, by the way. And this is Ephesus, is a city where the Apostle Paul actually planted a church. And, um, you know, we've, we've got Jerusalem's down here underneath Damascus. It's even off the map here. But John's up here, and he's primarily addressing a Jewish audience. A Jewish audience that wasn't convinced that the Messiah could be Jesus of Nazareth or that Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified on a cross, could be the Messiah. So primarily to Jews, we know that because he has all these Old Testament references that he never explains. He assumes they know that. But it's not exclusive. So other people curious about the claims of Christ could be in on his message. 
which had a clear purpose. He states the purpose in John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written, John says, speaking of his gospel, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Messiah, the anointed one. Who are anointed ones? The prophets and the kings, the promised coming Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's his goal. That we, with his primary first century audience, would come and see and look at Jesus, that in seeing we would believe, that we would trust in him, and in trusting in Christ, that we would find life rich and full as Jesus talked about. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. So John's saying the ultimate goal here is not belief, but it's new life. Jesus is about new life. So are you ready to meet God, John's saying, as you enter into my gospel? I hope you are. And so there's skeptics here today. It's really good if you're a skeptic. Guys, that there are skeptics in John's day. The concept of Messiah did not fit with crucified on a Roman cross. No, 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 no. The Messiah in their minds was coming to conquer, to free them from their oppressors. This did not fit together. So there were skeptics back then, and for 2,000 years there have been skeptics. And you're welcome here with all the questions that you would have. Come look at Jesus. So grab your Bible. We're in John chapter 1. And as we dig into the intro or the prologue of John's gospel, um, he's, he's going he's to just give us a great overview of Jesus. Now, if you don't have this Bible app, you ought to get it. Because maybe you got your Bible in your hand. But I bet you there's a whole bunch of times during the week you don't have your Bible in your hand, but you have your phone in your purse or your pocket. So the YouVersion Bible app is a great app that will always keep you in touch with God's Word Man, use it, leverage it. There's all kinds of cool things. If you don't know about it, that was free, okay? The Bible, the YouVersion Bible app. All right, so when we get into John's gospel, let me show you how the very first chapter, first 18 verses, divide out into four parts. So the first is this. Jesus is God, that's what he's going to say, the eternal creator, God's son, the eternal creator of all life. That's verses 1 through 5. Then in verses 6 through 8, he's going to tell us about John the Baptist. In a sense, he's calling John as his first witness to testify about Jesus being the Son of God, the promised Messiah. So John the Baptist is like this front man, this forerunner, this witness of Christ, verses 6 through 8. Then he goes back to Jesus and he talks about Jesus being the Savior who makes us God's children, makes us part of God's family through faith in Christ. That's verses 9 through 13, that he's not just God the creator, he is God the redeemer, the savior. And then in the final verses from verse 14 through 18, he emphasizes Christ's humanity. So he's fully God, guys. He's fully human. So Jesus is human. He is God with skin on, if if you please, right? He's incarnate. He is God in the flesh, full of grace and truth, John 14 through 18 in chapter 1. All right, so let's dig in to that first section here. Jesus is God, <clears throat> verses 1 through 5. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is going to use all kinds of figurative language, and we just ran into this first metaphor. He's the Word. This expression described Christ. He was with God, verse 2, in the beginning. Through him, through Christ, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, we start now looking at his deity, that he is God. That he actually is the creator. He wasn't just with God at his side. He actually is God. He's eternal God. He was there before time began. Before the creation. And when John uses the word word to describe Jesus, he's taking us back to creation. And in fact, the language of verse 1, in the beginning, right? In the beginning, was the word. That, that's the language of the very first word, words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. So there's all this reference back to creation. And he's saying that Jesus was not just there. He wasn't just an agent of creation, which he was. So that what we know in Genesis is God speaks the universe into existence out of nothing. Like he said, let there be light. And Jesus was the power that turns on the light. He said, let the earth be filled with fish in the seas. And Jesus creates the fish in the seas and all the, the creatures on the land and all the birds in the sky and the sun and the moon and the stars and everything. Jesus, Jesus, with God, eternal from the beginning, he is God. That's what he is saying. And as the word, he's communicating to us exactly what God is like, what he's about. So I'm talking right now. Yeah, I'm using some gestures, maybe a lot, maybe too many. Stop it. All right, so I'm using words to communicate about John's gospel, right? Jesus is the word of God that's communicating to us what Jesus is like, right? That's what's going on here. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, we read this about Jesus, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. Speaking of Christ. And listen to this. The exact, not the close approximation, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That's Jesus. And when the light of the world shone in the darkness, verse 5 says, the darkness could not overcome it. That the light of Christ is greater than the darkness that he walked in. A metaphor for the ignorance and the rebellion and the rejection against God and his son, Jesus Christ. So, John's going to be picking up these themes throughout. So, we're like in the entryway going into the house. We're like standing outside of the restaurant and the menu's tacked up on the board and we're looking at it. It's looking good, right? And then we go in. Oh, man, we start seeing some things. Oh, man, they're eating some. Wow, that's looking really good over there. Oh, we're smelling it, and pretty soon we're going to taste it, and we're going to take it in. 
So that's what's going on here in these first 18 verses. So the themes that he's presenting are going to be the themes then that he's going to support with stories and eyewitness accounts of honest men and women who did life with Jesus. They heard him teach. They saw him do the miracles. And they held his hand, the resurrected hand of Jesus Christ. They saw the nail prints. They put their hands in the side where the sword was thrust. So Jesus is God. He's divine, eternal creator of all life. Now we get introduced to John the Baptist in verses 6 through 8. This forerunner and witness of Christ. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is not the author. This is John the Baptist, okay? He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, meaning Jesus, so that through him all might believe. He himself, John the Baptist, was not the light. He wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't Jesus. He's not God's son. He came only as a witness to the light. That was his job, the forerunner, to get people ready to meet God, to get people ready to meet Jesus who would get them ready to meet God. He's calling people out into the wilderness. He's calling them to get their hearts right. He's calling them to repent, to turn back to God, and he's baptizing He's the guy who baptized Jesus. And John the Baptist is none other than Jesus' first cousin. That's what Luke tells us clearly. He was born of Elizabeth. Elizabeth is Mary's first cousin. So here we have it, John the Baptist. Jesus said of John that truly among those born of women, Matthew 11, 11, there has not risen anyone greater than John. That's what Jesus thought of John. And so the Old Testament talked about this prophet that was going to come and make the way for Jesus. And here he is. And John, if you will, is saying, John the Baptist, I present to you, John the Baptist, my first witness. And he's going to tell you about what he knows about the Messiah. And one of the things he's going to say is, he's greater than I am. I must decrease because he's got to increase. And he's so much greater than I am. And we'll see that even in the text as we read on. So that takes us to the third section, which now speaks to Jesus as the Savior, verses 9 through 13. The Savior who, now this is powerful here, makes us God's children. Jesus allows us to be adopted into God's family. A new, a new radical identity with the Father of all fathers, the good, loving, eternal Father God. So we read this in verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, his own people, the Jews. But his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Children born of God. So he's picking up on this theme of light and darkness, and John is going to play with that throughout his gospel. And what he's saying is, here's the creator of light who moves into the darkness, and as he shines brightly in the, on the earth as the son of God, 
that the world doesn't recognize who he is. They don't see him as the son of God. And his own people don't recognize that he's the one that they've been waiting for. The promised savior, the Messiah, Abraham's son, who's going to bring blessing to the family, all the families of the world. David's son, who's going to set up an eternal kingdom. He, he's, he's the one. And they completely miss it. They don't recognize him. And they don't receive him. That is, they don't receive him in faith and trust that he is who he said he is. But he said, that's not all that happened. There are actually people who did receive him. And they became children of God like the 12 he's going to introduce us to. Like the woman of Samaria in chapter 4. Or the blind man in chapter 9. Or Mary Magdalene in chapter 12. He's going to introduce us to these people who became children of God through faith. And it wasn't their doing. It was all God's grace. It's not something that we achieve. It's not something that we can do. It's what God does. Graciously makes us his children. In his grace, you know what he does? He opens our eyes. So we see him. We see ourselves, our need for a savior. In his grace, you know what he does? He changes our hearts. So we actually want to follow him. He grants us faith so that we can trust in him. And he gives us new life. And so in chapter 3, he's going to talk about, you got to be born again, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is going to go, what are you talking about? How can a man enter his mother's womb again? This is impossible, crazy talk. And he's talking about spiritual new life. And so John's saying, this one who created everything out of nothing, and everything that we see it was from his powerful hand. He's the creator. He's saying he didn't come just to create physical life, but new spiritual life. He is the savior of all. He's your savior. He's my savior. Verses 11 and 12, in a sense, give you the cliff notes on the whole gospel. Verse 11 is all about chapters 1 through 12. People rejecting Jesus. Didn't recognize him. Didn't receive him. Verse 12 is all about the second half, 13 through 21. Jesus believed and received the book of glory, his sufferings. So this takes us to the end then, the fourth section here in verses 14 through 18 that is going to emphasize Jesus' humanity. And if you will, John chapter 1 verse 14 is his one verse about the Christmas story. You ready for Christmas in the book of John? Here we go. The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son. Who came from the father. Full of grace and truth. And it's powerful. But that's the Christmas story in John's gospel. Right there. He goes on. John, speaking of John the Baptist. Testified concerning him, Christ. He cried out saying. This is the one I spoke about when I said. He who comes after me has surpassed me. Because he was before me. He's greater than me. That's John's testimony. Oh, everybody's coming to hear me preach out in the wilderness. I got followers. I got disciples. But let me tell you what. I'm just a front runner for the real guy. And he's here. And that's him. Behold the Lamb of God. Verse 16. John the author goes on to say, Out of his fullness, Christ's fullness. So get the sense of overflowing fullness. We have all received grace in place of grace already given. Grace on top of grace, overflowing grace. For the law was given through Moses. He's referring to the first five books of the Old Testament, referred to as the law. 
613 commands. He said, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. But look at the end of verse 16. He's talked about grace is already given. So it's not like the law didn't have grace. The law had plenty of grace. It was gracious of the law to reveal God's heart and his character. It was gracious of the law to, to let us know that, oh my word, we can't keep the law. We're lawbreakers and we need a savior. But now he's saying, but it wasn't the fullness of grace. And that's what he's going that's what he's going to. So, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth, though, the fullness of grace and the fullness of God's re revealing truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. And so here it is. Out of his fullness, grace and truth grace and truth and when we look at jesus we're going to see that grace grace extended to people that other people were ready to judge and maybe that's you jesus full of grace but he's full of truth he's full of truth he's going to shoot straight with us about who we are about who he is and so for the first time in human history Verse 18 is making it clear. John is stating the case that God has fully revealed himself now in and through Jesus Christ. Because the scriptures have been clear up until this point. No one can see God and live. That's what God told Moses. When Moses said, come on, show me your glory. He said, you, can't, you, you cannot live and see my glory. So I'm going to let you see my shadow. Get in the cleft of the rock. Get in the cave. And I'm just let my shadow pass by. Because no one can see God's face and live. Exodus 33, 20. Guys, even Hollywood knows that. Remember Raiders? The Lost Ark? Don't look, Marianne. That's what we're talking about. It's, it, what is it? The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is, is the very place where God's presence resided. And so he was convinced if they took the Ark of the Covenant cover off, that God's spirit would come out. And if you saw God, you would die. Don't look, Marianne. Don't look. By the way, when it said that he made his dwelling among us, and the word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us, that word dwelling is the word for tabernacle. When the, when the Greek is translating the Hebrew word for tabernacle. Tabernacle, if, if we're kind of new to the Bible, tabernacle is just this portable tent that they set up. And that was where God's presence resided. That's where they met God. And John's saying, God's presence is no longer about a place. It's not about the tabernacle that Moses built. And it's not about the temple that Solomon built. It's about Jesus. He's, he's God's presence. And that's where we meet God in Christ. So the implications are huge. I'm going to give you three. There's way more than that. But three to kind of gnaw on this week, all right? Number one, if Jesus is God... That's John's claim, whether you like it or not. Right now, if Jesus is God, then understand this. Whatever Jesus says, it's God speaking. Whatever Jesus does, it's God doing it. You can't separate the two. So when Jesus is speaking, God is speaking. When he's casting out a demon, doing a miracle, the, the wine, whatever it is, walking on water, that's, that's God. We're getting a picture. We're hearing truth from God. And if he's the closest to the Father, the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we get to the Father. So that's the first implication. That when we're studying the life of Jesus, we're learning about God. That's what John's saying 
and you go, I don't know anything about God. Well, welcome to Jesus and his story. There's a second implication. Jesus' divinity, so this is this miracle about Jesus, that he's always existed, and then at a point in time, he took on flesh. Didn't always have flesh. In God's plan, he was always going to become like us. And so he is eternally God and man. Fully God, fully man as he shows up on this earth. And when we think about his deity, his divinity, we embrace that. Because there's parts of Jesus that aren't like us. And that's good. We're not scared of that. We embrace that. Because there's all kinds of stuff in our lives right now that are so much bigger than us. And we just remember that he's God. That he can handle it. Whatever's going on in the crazy pandemic world that you're in, with the social injustice that you're dealing with, whatever it is, your health issue, that he's bigger than that. He's bigger. He's God. Ah, but at the same time, he's fully man. So he gets us. Guys, he understands us. The Bible says he was tempted in every way that we have been tempted, yet without sin. And so we have this sympathetic Savior, sympathetic high priest who goes between us and God. He prays for us, his spirit in us, helping us. This is huge. And then there's a final implication. It has to do with this whole thing of light and darkness. Jesus is the light comes into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it cannot overcome it and you're dealing with darkness maybe it's the darkness of depression right now let me just plug it again not alone on a resource page a really important crucial conversation about anxiety depression suicide jesus is greater than your depression maybe there's darkness that's coming from outside and i don't know what it is but it's dark and it's real and it's suffocating. Jesus is bigger. There isn't any darkness you're facing in your own heart and in this world whereby Jesus is not greater than the darkness. That's huge. That gives us hope. So, two questions as we go. So, the first is, will you take John up on his invitation to come and see? To see and believe? To believe and live. So for the first group, the come and see group, because, you know, maybe you are an agnostic. Maybe you are more than that, an entrenched atheist, right? So will you take his, his invitation to come and see and check out Jesus, who's not, John is not saying, hey, you guys, this is just one of the other good guys. I mean, there's a lot of good guys. There's a lot of waste. No, 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 no. That's not what John's saying. John's saying he's the son of God. He's not just a good teacher. He's the creator of the universe. He's your creator, your maker. He's asking you to come and see and kick the tires. Is Jesus who he said he is? Because in chapter 10, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. That's why the religious leaders kill him. Because he claimed that. That's what John's inviting you into. For others of us, you know, we've, we've, we've seen. But we haven't believed. Because that's a big step, like a giant step, to give up control of my life, to fully trust every area of my life into God's hands, into Christ. Will you believe now? Place your trust. You, I, don't, I don't have a lot of faith. It's not about how much faith you have. It's about where your little faith is latched onto. It's always about the object of our faith. It's all in Christ. The little bit that you have that God has granted you now, will you take that next step and believe and then for us who've come, we've seen, we believed, then the invitation is, yeah, but, but, 
But have you experienced the life that's abundant and full that Christ offers us through the power of the Spirit in relationship with his other daughters and sons that are part of his family? Will we live and grow fully to know Jesus and to become more like him? Will you take up John's invitation? And then the last question, the second question is this. Who in your sphere of influence right now needs to hear about the greatness of Jesus in your family, your colleagues at work, your, your buddies on the team, your, your, your classmates, your neighbors, your, your, your dorm mates, your, your apartment buddies, right, that you share an apartment with? Who, who, who in your life right now, God wants you to tell them about the greatness of Jesus and what actually would it look like? What would it look like, guys? For us to live a life in such a way that people would go, wow, there's no one like Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. Remember the little boy, what he said? Ah, you think nobody's ever seen Jesus? Well, let me tell you what. They'll know what he looks like when I'm done. And John's asking us, when our life is done, will it all be pointed to Jesus? Will people understand that Jesus is the greatest that he is supreme, that he is greater than anyone because he's the son of God, our creator, our redeemer, the one who chased us all the way to the cross. Let's pray. So God, do your work as only you can to lift the darkness, to remove the, um, the hard-heartedness where we just don't want to give up control of our lives, the pride where we're no longer in a position of learning and humility. Lord, give us faith to believe and give us a desire to grow deeper, even in the midst of a pandemic, Lord, to seize the day with you, running hard after you, being lights that help others find the true light of the world. We pray all these things in Christ's name for your glory and the good of the world you've called us to serve. Amen.